We're asking the question, if Jesus Christ is Lord, what does it mean for me? Listen as I read. This is Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We pray that God's Spirit would empower us to live lives of obedience by the grace of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that today your word would be held up to our lives as a mirror to show us first the sin that lurks within us, but secondly to show us the picture that you have, that we are loved and forgiven because of the grace of our Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would be able to live out of this this favor that we have with you, that we would live lives that show forth obedience in joy. Father, we come because of what Jesus has done for us, and yet we still come as needy people. For those that listen today, Father, I pray that, that, that they would be transformed. Lord, I pray that for those that have never put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, turn them from trusting in themselves to find their hope in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Use your privilege for the good of others. Now, it sounds like a provocative political statement, but it's, but it's first a theological claim. Use your, use your privilege for the good of others. Because notice what, what Paul is, is doing here. He, he commands believers to use the privileged position we have before God in loving relationship with others. Use your privilege for the good of others. Look again at verse 12. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved, as privileged people in relationship with God, what are we to do? Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Use the privileged position you have in right standing with God to let that flow out into your relationships with others. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, God's elect, chosen not because of goodness in you, but because of the grace and the mercy of God. You have been made holy. You were not in yourself holy, but have been made right and pure because of the work of God. You are dearly loved. You are the beloved of God. It's, it's an intimate word, and so use this privileged position for the good of others. Clothe yourself in these virtues. It's, it's the language we've already seen here in chapter 3 of, of taking on new clothing, of, of getting rid of the old and putting on the new. That's what verse 10 told us. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of your Creator. Clothe yourselves with the virtues of God. And so we see a, a Christian life is a life transformed. 
This list of virtues there in, in verse 12 is, is shocking, not only because of the, the claims that it makes on us, but, but shocking in comparison to what we, are, what we once were. Look at it in contrast to verse 5. We looked at this last week. These are the things you were to take off, that you were to put to death, that you were to mortify, you were to kill these things in yourself, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 8, get rid of all of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. And now verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are virtues desperately needed. Desperately needed, and, and you saw that this week in response to the, the presidential candidates standing on a stage with each other. Many people commented that, that they were embarrassed to be an American, embarrassed by the, the display of animosity. But, but the problem is these are not, not merely virtues that are, that are hard to find out in the world. These are virtues that Paul is pointing at Christians. He's not walking around the, the streets of, of Colossae and saying to, to random people on the streets, you need to put these on. He's saying to the gathered church, no, what are you meant to, to put aside? Sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, anger, rage, and malice, and put on these virtues. See, the reason we see that displayed on a presidential stage is because that's what we have asked for. That's what we demand for, for entertainment value, for, for getting things right. And just think of the way your own heart responded. Not merely with contempt maybe for the men on the platform, but contempt for the responses that you saw others post. The comments and the, the reactions that people have online. And maybe you get, you get pulled in and you, just, you, have to, you have to make clear, this is the only right way to think about this. Or, or maybe, maybe you're wise enough to avoid public comment, but then you look down on those who do. You think, I wouldn't be so foolish to act like that. And yet in your heart, you're, you're crushing others. There is no patience. There is no forbearance. And in, in the ancient world, these, were, these virtues, many of these were not, were not highly exalted. This list is not the, the list that you would have put before young men training for, for vocation in the ancient world. Actually, some of these would, would have been considered not, not, not virtues, but things to be avoided. Humility? Humility? Meaning you're going you're gonna to set yourself at the feet of others and consider them better than yourself? I mean, that's, that's not a virtue. That's cowardice and foolishness. So the ancient world's views aren't so different from our own. These are virtues not of the world at large, but virtues produced by the Spirit of God in his church. In all of the, the, the mess online in, in commenting about the way that our hearts were reacting to what we saw on Tuesday, one, one biblical commentator asked this question, are you a delight to disagree with? Meaning, do people enjoy disagreeing with you? Now, now you could take that in the negative sense of, uh, are you somebody that, that delights in disagreeing? But I don't think that's what the question is. I think it is, when, when someone disagrees with you, do you respond with compassion and kindness? And so that they're actually drawn into the conversation to, to not only understand your position, but you, you with patience understand 
their position. In humility, you actually think, maybe there's something this person understands that I'm missing. Maybe something from his perspective or, or her, her life would, would make sense of this to me. Are you someone who is a delight then to disagree with? Because you can avoid all conflict by, well, well, the problem is you would have to work really hard to surround yourself with people who always think exactly like you think. But even that wouldn't work, would it? Because even if you make your circle of people really small, they can get irritating. And, and we've tested that hypothesis over the last six months by sticking you in your homes with a small group of people who have become very irritating. And so the problem is you, you, can, you, you can't merely avoid conflict by avoiding other people. Because even if you did, even if you could avoid everyone, you'd still be left with the worst person in your life. The person who's always involved in, the con- in conflict when you're involved. Of course, you'd be left with yourself, with your own doubts and fears, with your own frustrations and disappointments. But, but the apostle says, in contrast to the way the world will live, in contrast to the way that you, the church, have lived, Put to death what was sinful in your life and now put on these virtues. Verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. That that language of bearing with each other, I mean, that's basically put up with difficult circumstances and difficult people. That's That's a command from God through the Apostle Paul to the church. Put up with the mess in your life. Put up with the frustrating people in your life. And that doesn't mean you make yourself a doormat to be walked upon it, but it means you respond to conflict with patience and gentleness. And you are willing then to forgive. Forgive others. See, we are quick culturally to, to, to push back as soon as we see the slightest error. And Paul is saying there, there are times that you just need to bear with one another. It takes you a long time to learn something, and so you might expect it will take other people some time to learn something. You are ignorant in lots of areas, and so you might expect other people might be ignorant in areas that you're knowledgeable in. And so put up with each other. Bear with each other. And then be willing to genuinely forgive. These are not cheap words tossed around. These are not campaign slogans or or things that you could put on a bumper sticker. It's not that easy and, and, and Paul doesn't expect it to be easy. Forgiveness is, is costly. Look back at, at chapter 1. He's already set the stage for us. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. What does forgiveness cost? Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, the story of the gospel is God forgiving you. In a costly way, not merely sort of, sort of quickly wiping it aside, but sending his son, bringing you into the kingdom of the beloved. And so you have been made beloved. And so we are called to forgive as the Lord forgave us. Now these commands to put on these virtues, it, it, it sounds noble. It's something we would want to, to strive for, but, but then part of us resists. Because we just resist really anyone telling us what to do. More than that, we think that, that if you follow the Bible's commands, maybe this is the way you're, you think about it, if you follow the Bible's commands, then your life is going to be sucked dry of all the fun. I mean, the, the Bible just, it, it tells you, hey, there's really good things out there, but don't do those. Do these things instead. Don't, don't have fun 
follow these rules. And so we sometimes think that, that following the commands of God can be restrictive, that pursuing virtue would take the fun out of life. But, 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 but notice what Paul is saying here. Real virtue is truly liberating. It's liberating because you can be honest about yourself. I am a sinner forgiven by God. I can call myself holy not in myself, but in Christ I have been made holy. I am loved by God, not because I was lovable or lovely, but because Jesus showed me the depth of God's love. And so you're freed from from your own sin and shame so that you can then treat others with as if they have value and dignity. You're no longer using others for your pleasure or power, but you are able to treat them with these virtues. See, the commands of God, actually, they're not restrictive. It's not as if you've been, you've been wrapped tight and to, to have no fun. You're actually now set free to enjoy the beauty of relationships, free to enjoy meaningful relationships with others. And that's why Paul in verse 14 then, then shows us that the greatest virtue, the deepest virtue, the supreme virtue is love. Verse 14, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And, and, and he's not really saying that, that yes, in line with, with the patience and the gentleness, then add love. No, he's saying you, the only way to do any of these things is to do it in love. The only way that you can be patient with, with another person is if you love him. The only way you can be gentle is if you love the other person. And so, so love is the supreme virtue, the one that binds these others together. And all of this is meant to be done in relationship. It, it, it's shown throughout this passage. Verse, verse 15 says that you are members of one body and you are called to peace in the church. The transformation of your life is meant to flow out into your relationships with others. In the church, verse 16 says that we, we teach and admonish one another. We're caring for one another. We're singing with one another. That means you need to be in other people's lives. And I, and I know it's more difficult now when there are restrictions on, on how close you can get to other people. But, but the physical distance you need to keep from others shouldn't, keep, shouldn't let you then be content with keeping a spiritual distance from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to place yourself in a, in a place where they can speak into your life. They can teach you in wisdom, and then they can admonish you. Both the positive encouraging you and the, the negative exposing the sin in your life, turning you back toward Christ. And we're giving you places to do that in community groups, small groups that, that gather together to look at a Bible passage in order to apply it into each other's lives, to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We do that even as we gather in worship. It, and I know that, that, that some of you, need to be at home because of, of health needs or the needs of, of those in your family that you're caring for. But we, we miss being together. There's a reason that, that the, the, the worship by yourself or, or even with your own family feels incomplete because we are a church called to sing with one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in that we see God at work in the lives of others. And we are teaching, encouraging, and strengthening one another in doing that. And so if it's possible for you to join us, I want to encourage you to, to join us in person. If it's safe for you to do, consider the way that, that not only that will be a strength to you, but a strength to those gathered around you. See, our lives are meant to be transformed. We are to put on these virtues. 
And, and you are to have a life transformed by the grace of God. This is not done in your own strength. This is not cleaning yourself up. This is by God's power and by God's grace. Again, let's, let's look at where we started in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, it is not by your goodness or your greatness that you were chosen. It is by the mercy of God. If God lined up all of humanity and chose those that were worthy of his love, there is no one who could stand. There is no one that would have been chosen, but it's by God's mercy that you have been called God's chosen people. Paul is using the language of the Old Testament, the, the covenant that God made with his people, to show that that's who we are now. We are the people chosen by God, elected by God. We have been made holy, set apart by God, purified by God. We are beloved because of the grace of God. And that's where the, the, the encouragement and the motivation for us to act comes. Why should we live lives filled with compassion and kindness? Because that reflects the character of God. Look, it, Paul, Paul says it explicitly. If, if, we, if we miss the connection to Christ, he says it explicitly. Look, at the end, look again at verse 13. The command to bear with one another, to forgive each other, is, is given to us because the, the, that second sentence there in verse 13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. When you understand the grace of God, that you are undeserving but God has forgiven you, then you're set free to forgive others. Because if you compare the, 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 the sin that was done against you compared to your sin against God, well, then the, what you're being asked to forgive is much smaller. But it's more than that. The, the one who, who is doing the forgiving, it, your, your sin against God is of, of infinite terror and horror because you're sinning against the king of the universe, the creator and sustainer. And so if he would forgive you, then surely you are in a place to forgive others. So one commentator says, it is impossible that Christians who share in the peacemaking work of Christ who, who understand the, the peace that comes to us through the cross of Christ, it is impossible that Christians then could live with hatred and animosity toward one another. If you struggle to forgive, it's because you struggle to understand the depth of what you have been forgiven. And so when you look at the pain caused by you, and, and this isn't to, to minimize the pain, no, the, the sins that have been committed against you, many of them are great. But it's in, in comparison to the forgiveness you have received. What you are being asked to do is to forgive as the Lord forgave you. So you don't merely remove disappointment, frustration, or conflict in your life by avoiding other people. You remove disappointment, frustration, and conflict by forgiving one another, by being reconciled to one another, by transforming the relationships with one another. So the transformed life is a life transformed by the grace of God. You, you see in this passage that Jesus Christ is at the center of the passage. You forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now in the Old Testament, the Lord is the, the name given to, to God. It's the way we translate God's name, Yahweh. He is the Lord. But throughout the New Testament, it's the name given to, it, it, it's, the, it's the, the title attached to Jesus. Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, is Lord. He is the one with authority over all. And so we forgive because we have been forgiven by 
the Lord. Our lives are transformed by the grace of God, but our lives are transformed by the authority of Jesus. It's when we submit ourselves to the rule and reign of Jesus that our lives can, can really be set free for the, 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 the love of one another. That's, that's the, the commands that are given to us in verses 15 and 16, where Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And, th- and this isn't merely sort of the, the feeling that you are at peace, sort of that calm and comfort. Yes, that, that can be a result of the peace of Christ. What, what Paul is talking about is, is more objective than that. It's, it's more clear than that. It is the, the peace that is given to you by Christ. Again, the language is, is drawn from earlier in, in Paul's letter. Look, look again at chapter 1, verse 21. We were enemies of God, but we have been reconciled. And so we have peace with God. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Once you were an enemy, but now God has reconciled you. That's an objective fact. If you have put your trust in Christ, then that is true of you. And so Paul is saying, let that peace, the very fact that you have been reconciled to God, let that have authority and rule in your life. Now, the language there of rule is the language that in in ancient Greek they would have used of of an umpire, of a sporting event, the one who who renders a verdict. And then then it's used more broadly than in the New Testament period to just describe anyone who has authority, who has the right to make a decision for you. Now, the problem is with that kind of language, we're people who are always suspicious of umpires. I mean, have you ever known an umpire to get a call right? I mean, in those big moments, they, they always seem to blow it. Well, now, of, of course, that's not true, because if you look at, at umpires, they get most of the calls right, even the ones that, that you would contend. But, 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 but 10 years ago, back in June of 2010, Detroit Tigers pitcher Armando Galarraga he was one out away from a perfect game. All right, now, a perfect game in baseball is the, is the hardest achievement. It means that all 27 batters faced get out. No one reaches base, not by being walked, not by reaching on an error, not by being hit by a pitch. Every man who gets to the plate turns and walks back to the dugout directly. 27 men faced, 27 outs. And it's, it's so rare that there have only been 23 perfect games in Major League history. Now, that's 23 out of about 180,000 games played in the Major Leagues, stretching back more than 100 years. And so, so, so Galarraga is one out away, two outs in the ninth inning. A batter puts the ball into play. It's a routine play that will end the game. It will, it will be the perfect game but the umpire calls him safe. Everybody in the stadium can see the replay. Everybody watching at home, the announcers, can show that he got it wrong. Yes, it was a close play, but he should have been called out. The perfect game given to the pitcher. Now, after the game, umpire Jim Joyce admitted his mistake. He says, it was the biggest call of my career, and I missed it. He uttered the words that are so hard for us to say. I was wrong. 
and I'm sorry. See, we sympathize with the pitcher who had a perfect game taken from him. But in the the actions of Galarraga, we actually learn something of what it means to forgive. Because the very next day, now it's his day off, you pitch that many innings and you get, well, actually probably four or five days off. But the next day at the, the game, he is sent out with the lineup card of this is who will be playing in today's game. It's, it's a routine thing that just has to happen before the game, but he's ceremonially sent out because now the first base umpire for the next game has been moved behind home plate. And so as he walks out, he extends words of forgiveness to the umpire. Now, normally the handing of the lineup card is, is routine. It's ignored by the crowd, but the crowd let out a roar for their pitcher. And it brought the umpire to tears. So we sympathize with the pitcher. We admire his willingness to forgive, but we remain suspicious of those in authority. Because Jim Joyce will miss other calls. The people in your life that have authority over you, they've, they've messed up. We don't like to have rules imposed on us. We don't like anyone to have that kind of power. And yet Paul commands us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Jesus have supreme authority over you. And you need not fear his rule. He is trustworthy and gracious. He has forgiven you. He put himself in your place and died on the cross. He will never make a mistake. The virtues that the believer is meant to show of compassion and kindness are the characteristics of this Savior. Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus is filled with kindness. Jesus is filled with humility. Jesus is filled with gentleness. Jesus is filled with patience, and he has proved it in his death on the cross. And the command then comes to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the the truth about who Jesus is, the message of salvation, let that have control over your life every area of your life. That's, and, and Paul will, will make sure that, that we don't miss that because in verse 17, he'll say it explicitly. Whatever you do, not just when you're singing or teaching, but whatever you do, verse 17 says, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything is done under the authority of Jesus. Everything is done in his name with his message upon your life. And so we are able then to give praise and thanks to God. Verse 17 makes it explicit that we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. But it was, that's just a repetition of what we've already read in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 told us to be thankful. Verse 16 said that we do this with gratitude in our hearts. And verse 17 then says we give thanks. See, when you see what God has done, he has taken an enemy of his and welcomed us as his beloved. We give thanks to God because of the grace shown to us through Jesus. We give thanks for the rule of Jesus in his life, for his goodness and kindness displayed in his authority over us. We give thanks in our words and actions. We give thanks in our worship and teaching. We give thanks with our whole lives. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Use your privilege for the good of others. Let me pray as we come to the table of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your grace and mercy. We rejoice in your goodness that is shown to us, shown to us in your word, and we pray that your word would dwell in us richly. The word that is preached and proclaimed, showing us the good news of who Jesus is. Father, we pray that, that our lives would be transformed. Lord, that those who have come in with rage and bitterness and anger, those who have come in with, with pride and selfishness, and Lord, that includes each of us. Lord, that you would humble us as we see the grace that has been given to us. Father in heaven, I pray that as we come to this table that is set for us by Jesus himself, that as we come at the invitation of Jesus, we would see what it cost for us to be forgiven. And Lord, as we partake of this, these simple elements, the bread and the juice, Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts, that by the presence of Jesus dwelling in our midst, we would be able to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. So Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.